Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, cave diver and filmmaker Jill Heinerth. That's all coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McPeak. Well, I'm holed up in the basement of my parents' house in Victoria in what used to be the room for my twin nieces whenever they would stay over. My mom had to dismantle their bunk beds today. I arrived about one o'clock in the afternoon from Toronto. Decided that, you know, during this quarantine, this self-isolation, this social distancing, um, that it was best to be with the family. So that's why I'm here. I don't know how long I'm going to be in Victoria. My guess is probably one to two months. The restaurant actually did a smart thing in laying all of us off so we could apply for EI and I've applied for a couple of artist funds as well and I'll be finally getting all these interviews up on the website and and kickstarting Patreon again because a lot of people are going to have a lot of free time on their hands. And one area that has a real chance to thrive is ent- entertainment, whether it's the arts, live entertainment, music streaming, uh, shows on Netflix, podcasts. I think artists are going to get really creative and we've seen it already about how to keep entertaining the masses when they have nowhere else to turn. This is my long delayed episode. Um, I was supposed to have it up a week and a half ago, but we had some technical issues um, and some editing that I sorted through. And then of course, when I was going to put up this week and then when the lockdown hit, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'll kind of all got distracted by the rapidly changing news and advice and what to do and that coupled with some film stuff. Uh, it was just hard to 
take a minute to breathe and, and concentrate and, and, and get back to this. But also I think in a way it's appropriate that I waited this long to have the Jill Heineth interview here. You know, because we are in an unknown time and Jill is someone who has spent her life exploring the unknown. Uh, and most of that is underwater or in cave systems of the ocean and the natural world, whether it's in Antarctica, whether it's off the coast of New Zealand or Australia, whether it's Mexico, the Caribbean. Jill has gone to places and gone to depths that maybe one handful of people have explored in their lives. As she states in her bio, more people have walked on the moon than have been to some of the places Jill has explored. She is a veteran of over 30 years of filming, photography, and exploration on projects in submerged caves around the world with National Geographic, NOAA, and various educational institutions and television networks worldwide. She is the inaugural Explorer-in-Residence for the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, recipient of Canada's prestigious Polar Medal, and the Diving World's highest award from the Academy of Underwater Arts and Sciences, the NOGI. As a motivational speaker, she has educated and inspired people about our fascinating underwater world. She is also a filmmaker, a photographer, and writer. Her memoir is Into the Planet, My Life as a Cave Diver, uh, and she's also working on several projects. Two of note are the Sedna Expedition and the We Are Water Project, uh, Arctic on the Edge, and as well as Real Sobriety. This is my conversation with cave diver, filmmaker, educator, Jill Heinerth. I am pleased to be joined on the phone by... Oh, thanks. Nice to join you. Uh, you have a memoir out, um, Into the Planet. With, with everything that you've done... Why was now the right time for you to, to tell your story? Oh, gosh. I mean, I've been working on it for a long time. <laughs> uh, sort of, you know, actively writing it for the last many years. So, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, I've, I've been driven to want to write this my whole life. <laughs> um, you, I know you, you, you talk about it a little bit in the book, but... What first attracted you to to diving and, and, and cave diving specifically? Well, I mean, I wanted to be a diver from the time I was a little kid. You know, I, I, I wanted to be someone who could explore places that people hadn't been before. And, and as a kid, we were exposed to you know, Apollo missions as well as uh, watching Jacques Cousteau on TV. 
I mean, that's my initial, um, uh, I guess, inspiration. Uh, but you know, I didn't get to dive until until I was much older. So I saved some money and and uh, bought the equipment and earned enough to take the class myself. But for the first time, I went underwater. I knew that this was my element. You know, n- not every you know, not everybody can can adapt to the the outdoors uh, you know some people pr- just prefer the normal life what is what is exciting about just being outside in in the natural world for you oh well you know i've always loved that um as a you know as a kid our our you know family activity would be to go out hiking or picnicking or canoe tripping or camping and I was always eager to get out the door and, and not come home until the streetlights went on too long. Which is funny because I, I know you you started out as like a, a, a designer and, and, and had a desk job for a while. What mm-hmm. what made you put that life behind you and just say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna die full time. What was the impetus for that? creative professional and, and I still am a creative professional I've just chosen to do it underwater so I uh, you know pursued my artistic dreams and made that happen but then I was you know sitting inside an office thinking to myself this is not the environment and that was my hobby at the time and I, I thought I need to turn this on like my life on its head I need to figure out how to be creative in the underwater world rather than creative inside an office that was so claustrophobic to me. Well, you know, when you're when you're cave diving, you know, especially when you're going lengthwise, you know, rather than down, it's do you consider it sort of like I'm helping to design the earth or, or... I'm swimming through the veins of mother earth, but when I take my camera there and take pictures and bring back video and share that with the world, I feel like I'm you know, using my, my creative talents to tell stories and uh, share places that people haven't seen before. You, you, you mentioned, well, a few dives, but the, the two that you go on about quite in length are the, the deepest dive down and, and the longest dive. Um, was, was one of those more significant than the others or, or what, what was so special about each of those? at um, uh, Wakala Springs in North Florida with the United States Deep Caving Team, I had an opportunity to go you know, further into deep caves than any woman in history. But the, the mission of the project was not strictly exploration. It was about creating the world's first accurate three-dimensional map of any subterranean space, dry or wet. And so because of that, because of that mission, uh, it became you know, scientifically very important um, and that the the fruits of that project continue to deliver today even more than 20 years later um, that same you know digital mapping devices continue to be developed and um, and my colleague uh, dr. Bill Stone is um, you know destined to take this into space to explore beneath the frozen surface of Jupiter's moon Europa and so those dives really are incredibly meaningful to me and um you know important in the 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 whole course of my my career um for 
creating an opportunity for me to be able to collaborate with scientists on important um, important causes. You you know you you mentioned space, and I I think the the opening of the book talks about how we actually know more about the moon um, than mm. we do close that gap. Mm. Well, I mean, I've really grown up in the in the age of technological exploration. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, people would say, "Gee, the age of exploration is over. We've we've been to the highest mountains. We've been to the deepest ocean depths. Um, we've been to the moon." But really, my generation got to usher in technical ex- exploration that allowed us to go um, to places like like inner Earth um, and uh, use technology to, you know, further human physiology and and capability. And so, uh, you know, some logs. Um, places where uh, we can use these environments to to test technologies that are are destined for for space, and that's kind of exciting. You know, you you, you mentioned that um, Bill wanted to take the project to Jupiter, and I remember a number of years ago with the oil spill, um, NASA got involved in, in, in trying to help um, solve it. How do you how do you think you know the imaging technology and, and whatever was developed for Rocola? How do you think that can be uniquely adapted to space to help us to help us discover more of the unknown? Mm-hmm. Well, the mapping device itself, um, I used to need to drive it um, through a cave system while it would map the surrounding environment, and and I would make the choices to swim left or right and explore. So it required a human brain in order to to go someplace. But today, um, that same device, uh, now called Sunfish, is artificially intelligent and autonomous. So it can explore. It's a cave diver in its own right. It's just a robot cave diver. Um, But that means that it can go to places that I can't reach. It can go to the bottom of the ocean. It can go inside a a power plant. It could go inside contaminated water and and map and and do other things um, that we need you know, to learn about for exploration. Um, it can definitely help us teach us about our future, but I know in the book you talk about, you know, you went to the Maya Riviera, which is the site of a lot of ancient civilizations. What can mm-hmm. exploring in, in this way help us teach us about our, our archaeological past? Well, I mean, caves are virtually museums of natural history. They contain information about Earth's past climate in the geology of the caves, and they also contain, you know, the remains of past civilizations and ancient animals that are no longer with us. And we find their remains in these sort of portals to the underworld. And uh, so caves are an amazing place to do a lot of different livestock and intentionally placed rituals and even sacrifice humans, um, we find, inside the caves in in Mexico. And we also uh, can learn about what the earth and the climate was like when... Um, those objects or artifacts or human remains were left behind. And that, you know, helps us you know, to understand a little bit more about you know, what the climate was like on Earth before and what it might, like, and what it might be like in the future. Um, in the Bahamas, we look inside the rocks to determine the age of the cave and the times when a cave um, would have been dry and um, that, you know, can inform us about ancient sea levels and, and Earth's um, conditions at other times. Uh, you, you mentioned Mexico there, and, and that was a, a, a big part of your early career. Do you, do you remember the feeling you felt when you had that first dive in Mexico? Oh, 
Oh, yeah, I remember just thinking how beautiful and clear the water was and how warm it was. But then, you know, when you first explore a cave, what you do is you run a spool of, of guideline, like a safety line, all the way back to the entrance. And when you're exploring a new place that nobody's ever been before, you're just spooling out that line and carefully tying it off to act like a pathway that will lead you back um, to the entrance in case you, you know, lose your ability to, to see in a, in a silt-out. Um, but when you lay that line and then you turn around and you make a map using that line on the way out, and you realize that you've just seen something that nobody else on Earth has ever seen before. It's a pretty special feeling. And the caves in Mexico are, are beautiful, too. So sometimes Western world knows very little about it, I think. What was it like for you just you know, being in, in that part of the world and, and, and getting to hone your craft there? Well, for me, I, I sold everything. I sold my business. I sold everything I owned. I left Canada, and I decided to, like, you know, leave behind even even my, you know, nationhood. I basically <laughs> called myself a non-resident and just get more time in the water. And back in those days, I mean, that meant that we didn't have much contact with the outside world. You know, we weren't we weren't reading the internet, we weren't sending emails around, we weren't doing any of that. In fact, you know, on the East End of Grand at that time in my life, I was just like fully focused on one thing only, and that was, you know, to find a way to make a career for myself underwater. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of references to, or in the book, about diving as a sport, and yet there's also this mm -hmm. scientific a aspect to it, and then there are a lot of people that are you know, um, recreational divers. So do you consider yourself a scientist, uh, an athlete? Um, and and how, do you, how do you differentiate between, you know, diving for sport or, or, or diving for science, so to speak? Well, I guess it's a little bit of, of everything. I mean, I just think of myself as a professional diver and, and, you know, I'm often collaborating with scientists. And so I become their eyes and hands in the environment uh, that they can't necessarily reach just the same way that a, an astronaut may carry out experiments for someone who's back on, on Earth. So so I, I think of myself as a collaborator, um, but expedition, um, so there's a lot of different things I do uh, in order to keep me underwater. Um, and of course, numerous records have been set in diving and, uh, you know, reading the part about your, your dear friend, um, Sheck, who I think was trying to break a, a thousand feet. Um, what is it about that figure that w was a barrier for, for so many divers in the past, do you think, the, the 1,000 feet? Uh, well, I mean, it's just a hypothetical number, really. I mean, if, if, <laughs> if he was tied to the metric system, it might have been 300 meters or whatever. It was just, you know, an arbitrary figure that hadn't, hadn't been reached. Um, I'm not really a fan of those kinds of of records for the sake of records because I think that, uh, I mean, he was pushing the physiological envelope that, that people hadn't been to before, uh, but I, I, did, I didn't feel a sense of purpose. Maybe maybe he did, um, but for me, you know, taking on such risks like that um, has, to be, has to be worth it because, you know, the results, I mean, he knew there was a very good chance that he might not come home from that dive, and, and he didn't, and it, it's tragic, not just, not just, for him, but also because he was a real, um, he was a real thought leader in cave diving, and um, actually the guy that wrote many of the most important safety rules for cave diving that we use today. And 
so it's tragic to lose to lose a figure like that in in something that you can't really put your finger on like why you know i guess you know for him it was personal but it's it affected a huge you know a, a much greater swath of humanity his family his friends you know the people that that stayed around to recover his body like that's um that's tragic um for you then what is the most exciting thing about the unknown um well for me it's, it's problem solving so i i like to do things that people consider impossible i like to find a way to safely do those um but but it always has to have a sense of purpose it always has to be tied to something that's important to someone beyond beyond me really like you know today uh what's important to me is communicating about water resource issues and climate change and and using my standing within the community and and my unique viewpoint from from inside your drinking water to talk about these issues uh you you talked about a, a spiritual connection and i know uh when you were in in mm-hmm. maya um the 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 tree of life um what is mm-hmm. what is so spiritual about sort of where the different aspects of nature all collide into one? Mm. Well, I mean, in the Riviera Maya in Mexico, it's 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 very tangible. Um, there are no surface rivers; all the water drains underground, and we only see evidence of of this groundwater through um, these pools called cenotes, which is the Mayan word for well. And um, they have a very strong spiritual connection to these these water resources, of course, because they provide the sustenance for life, but uh, but also um, provide uh, a portal to their to their next world, their their underworld, basically. So they're significant to them. But also, you know, the Mayan civilization is not lost; it's alive and well today in Mexico and Guatemala and all. In, climate refugees moving off into the environment to look for new places to grow food and get water. And, and we find this story in these cenotes when we do work on the archaeology and paleontology there. And, um, and to me, that, that's interesting to, to learn about, but it's also a cautionary tale to, to think about how these, these people who were in situations of overpopulation outstripped the resources available to them and then had to, you know, become climate refugees. You know, on, on that note, um, climate change is, you know, everywhere in the news now, even here in Canada with, with all the, you know, the, the water restrictions on, on, on some reserves. But how does urban development, urban sprawl and climate change affect the world's underwater ecosystems and, and, and the reservoirs? Oh, in, in so many ways. I mean, um, all over the world, we, uh, I mean, there's plenty of water on this planet. The earth is 70% water. My body is 70% water. But what we're running out of is clean, fresh drinking water that people can afford. And fresh, clean drinking water needs to be considered a basic human right for all of humanity, or, or we're going to be living in a world of of conflict so you know in a place like canada we hit the we hit the geographic jackpot we have a lot of resources and less people and we have a chance to protect these resources um but water is a is a worldwide resource and so we have to understand that as other people um run out or run out of fresh clean sources they will look to us um and so we we have to protect what we have and and work with creating global s- 
solutions to to protect those waters. Because these days, like in caves, we see the results of of overdrawing freshwater resources. We see the results of pollutant tangible examples of how the Earth's changing climate is affecting our future and our present. And, and how do you think, you know, cave exploration and all the mapping technology that, you know, com comes with it can help us find specific ways to better resource our water, you know, whether if it, you know, whether it's taking salt out of, out of seawater or, or finding a, a new way to, to funnel water into reservoirs? Well, I mean, I think there's like a figurative and a literal answer to that. So, I mean, figuratively, I am the canary in the coal mine <laughs> swimming through your drinking water and showing humanity that the results of, of whatever we do on the surface of the earth will be returned to us to drink. So I think using my adventure stories and experiences, I can show people a place that's magical, beautiful, and very abstract. And help them to understand um, some of these very large issues affecting humanity. And then, you know, in a more literal sense, there's so much important science that's going on inside these environments that help us to understand where our water comes from, how we, how we might be overusing it or unintentionally polluting it, and therefore how we can protect it for future generations. So citizen scientists, cave divers, and scientific cave divers uh, have... Uh, you know, a remarkable uh, opportunity for research, exploration, and then informing the public about about these important issues. Um, you're obviously now, you know, one of the the foremost authorities. Um, and and you t but you talk a little bit about the book. You know, in your early career, was there a moment for you where you felt you became a true diver? Well, for me, I felt the greatest transition of responsibility during the Wakala 2 project when we were making that 3D map. Um, because up until that point, I really felt like the public looked at us as a curiosity or or as some sort of adrenaline junkies that were out to get ourselves killed. And and I think during that project and then forever afterwards, I, I believe that, that we were regarded as, as individuals that could contribute significantly to our scientific understanding of, of the planet. And and so, you know, it, it, it we weren't looked at as sports enthusiasts. We were we were looked at as explorers after that. You know, you know, on that note, you, you do reference the the Thai soccer team that was trapped in the caves and the, the divers mm -hmm. that, you know, came and rescued them and, and a couple that lost their life. Did that increase or decrease interest in diving and and do you think it, it maybe changed the perception of what divers do well um i don't know whether it, it, it brought any changes in terms of like the diving population but i think that i think that it, it was a really you know a happy ending story that that reflected really well on the cave diving community i mean my colleagues and and you know expeditionary friends that that rallied to the call to go to thailand and and take you know enormous personal sacrifices financial sacrifices and huge risks to go um do something that a lot of people considered impossible uh it, it i mean it's one of the happiest stories that we've had <laughs> news in in years and um and you know i'm so grateful and proud of 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 the guys that did that. It was a huge community that got involved and uh, were willing to pay their way, get their hands dirty, and take personal risks um, to, to save those children.
you know, in, in, in spite of the deaths that, that come with, with any adventure or, or any sport, with what we're seeing now in technology, is the future... There's a point where um, I don't feel like I'm replaced by a sunfish mapper. I feel like I can, I can work with that technology. I'm excited that it'll go to places that I can't reach, but it's not going to stop me from continuing to, you know, explore the edges of our understanding. You know, you, you, you talked about uh, Wakala 2 a lot and how, you know, the, the team had to go this, through, through this big sort of presentation to, to the park authorities. What was that actual presentation day like for, for you and the team? So when we first um, were seeking to get a permit in order to explore Wakala Springs, we had to go through a lot of paperwork. We had to build a lot of technology. But then we had to prove to the Florida Park Service that what we uh, wanted to do was both safe and possible and could, um, uh, you know, benefit their understanding of the water resources there. So it was a little bit of a, like a trial by fire. Like you've got a very short period of time to put a huge team of volunteers and a lot of new technology together and prove to them that you can be successful. So it was very stressful because up until that point, we had put two years of effort and pretty much all of our personal financial resources into making that project possible. So it's extremely stressful. Um, and then a huge celebration when we finally proved, uh, proved what we were going to do. And of course, this was the early days of the internet and you did get a, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of trolls and, and, and a lot of haters. Um, as mm-hmm. how, how did, how did you deal with that? Um, not only as a scientist, but also as a woman, because there were people there that, that were targeting your gender. Yeah. You know, I guess it was a real age of innocence for me back then. I, I just, I couldn't fathom why someone I didn't know or knew nothing about could, could attack me online without knowing me. Um, and surely sometimes just because I was a woman or uh, because they, you know, felt like our project wouldn't succeed or, or in some cases that they wished that our project would not succeed or that one of us would get killed. And that, that was just like, I couldn't believe that, that anybody would take time out of their day to intentionally sit at a keyboard and attack people. But, but it was an age of innocence that, you know, was, you know, quickly quashed. And, and I guess it opened my eyes to the, to the world. I, I still don't understand, um, that kind of behavior on land or on online. I just don't understand how one human being can, you know, wish such ill to another human being, but it is what it is. You know, you, you talked about, um, although you're, you know, you have a disdain for records, but they, they were always talking about the males on your team and, and not you, um, and how you didn't necessarily want to become the best female diver. It was more about just being the, the best diver, period. Um, where are you? Like, do you, do you just want to remove this idea of, of gender from everything and, and have everybody as, as one? Where, where are you with, with sort of that dialogue that's happening? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really wish we could. I mean, so often, it doesn't necessarily have to be in diving, but in anything, you'll see someone listed as the first female or the best female, and it's like, well, you know, we don't differentiate men in the same way. <laughs> we don't say the first man to do this, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I wish that that would 
go away and that we'd just be considered equal because there's no there's no reason to segregate the gender within the sport of diving i mean there there really isn't i mean we are equally capable of 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 doing anything in the sport or as a profession do you consider yourself in any way either an activist or 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 a pioneer yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, certainly been on the cutting edge of, of technology like rebreathers, um, and uh, you know, the first to do a lot of things. Um, and and I think that I, throughout my career, have have put an emphasis on communicating and sharing those experiences with with others as well. Uh, so I hope that I've you know mentored a lot of people in the in the community and helped to lift them up as well, um, so that they can exceed what I'll ever be able to do. You know, diving has also affected your personal life. You you, you sort of fell in love while diving and then you fell Mm -hmm. out of love um, while while diving. Um, How do you think, you know, what was that experience like for you? Because you you met your first husband um, basically in in Cayman, I think, or Florida, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so my, my first husband was an exploration partner, um, uh, and and you know I was younger. We all we all make different different choices and um, and have have different priorities in our lives at different times in our lives, and and you know that didn't work out. But I don't I don't regret it um, because I believe that everything that happens in our life, you know, the good, the bad, the challenging, the difficult, the ugly, whatever, you know, the successes and the failures all inform us about who we will be in the future and, and, you know, give us the fodder to make better choices a second time around. I, I, you know, I got married a second time and I, and I, you know, I hit the jackpot. I absolutely, you know, love my husband and he's, he's, he's not a diver. And in, in many ways, maybe that's a, a better, about a balance, you know. Um, I have to travel a lot, and I'm a, I'm away from him, which is which is hard. But boy, it sure makes life sweet when we're together. We we appreciate every moment together. You know, it, what's really interesting is that Ivava experienced um, the loss of colleagues, and he was a veteran, if I'm correct. And I know, you know, he's mm-hmm. experienced his fair share of loss and in, in, in PTSD. And mm-hmm. y- you know, you have a dangerous mm-hmm. profession. Just wondering, like, what what is that? conversation like between you two do you, you know do you ever sort of d- discuss the the dangers or or do you just try and mm-hmm. not deal with that when, when you're at home together oh no i mean life is very real and honest uh with us like you know he you know at times it's it's incredibly difficult for for my husband robert to be home waiting knowing that i'm engaged in something dangerous and you know we have agreements like the moment that i'm out of the water as soon as i can i call him to let him know that everything's okay because i i recognize that he's painfully waiting for that news to know that everything's okay um so i actually think that you know because of both of our life experiences we have extremely real conversations and honest conversations about about risk um, you you open the book with with the uh, near death experience that you had in in Antarctica. Um, as as a explorer, as a diver, does death still frighten you? Uh, no, 
I mean, death is inevitable, um, and I, I don't focus, um, you know, my attention on thinking about about dying. I do, you know, think about things that could cause my death, and I figure out how to mitigate those risks. I'm a whole lot more concerned about, you know, living fully and, um, you know, leaving the world a better place. So uh, I will have no regrets whenever I, you know, leave this earth. I will have of uh, felt like I, I did the best I could and contributed and I, I, I won't have regrets. Do you, do you find out that there are things that you still fear, whether as a diver underwater or on land? Oh, I'm scared all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's normal. Um, being scared is, you know, an indication that you care about the results of your choices in life and that you want to come home at the end of the day so yeah so there's lots of things that scare me and and i like diving with people or engaging in things with people who are also scared <laughs> because um, we care about risk but we also care about pushing the envelope and, and doing something either new for ourselves or maybe new for humanity and, and you find that maybe that fear or adrenaline only pushes you further right I don't think of myself in a, as an adrenaline junkie because because I deal with all of the fear before I get in the water. So I think about all the things that could possibly kill me, and then I go through my equipment, my procedures, my practice, and make sure that I'm up to date and current and able to deal with the worst case possible scenario. So that by the time I get in the water, I'm very calm. You know, my breathing rate's low, my heart rate is low, and I am ready to deal with whatever could possibly happen. Out, out of all the places you, you've been in the world, do you have a favorite or, or perhaps most exciting diving spot that you've explored? Well, my favorite diving destination is actually like Vancouver Island, west coast of Canada. I think uh, it's truly remarkable and varied and uh, just a stunning underwater environment. I, I absolutely love the west coast of Canada. That's uh, yeah. I'm I'm from Victoria, so I mean I I, I don't mm-hmm. dive, but I I grew up in that environment, so I, I I'm inclined to agree yeah. with you. Um, yeah. You know, for for people who are either just starting out um, diving or or you know or or, or recreational divers, um, would you would you give them any advice or perhaps you know maybe this is a good a good place to to start your diving career. I mean, anybody that learns to dive in Canada uh, has, you know, it, it's tougher than other parts of the world, so it's great. I mean, you've got to you've got to be dialed in with your your skills and drills when you're when you're learning to dive in Canada, and you deal with you know colder water, more challenging environment. But um, once you've uh, learned in Canada, you can dive anywhere in the world. Uh, just the 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 actual experience and I guess technical issues that come with you know doing a cold water dive as, as opposed to to diving in the tropics how different is it oh very different i mean when you're in cold water you're putting on a lot more equipment often a dry suit instead of a wetsuit um so you don't have as much mobility um you know it's a shock when you first jump into cold water as opposed to uh you know diving in the clear beautiful tropical environments it's 
it's uh, an order of magnitude more difficult. <laughs> um, you know, we you obviously do a, a lot of photography. Um, you write. You've worked with I know National Geographic, um, and, and you you were mentored by the the late great Wes St- uh, Skiles. Excuse me. Um, I'm curious. Have you ever thought of maybe either making uh, a documentary or or a feature of of your life, maybe uh, an adaptation of of Into the Planet? Oh, I, I you know I'd be thrilled if someone, if someone wants to wants to make that. I, I think that's that's going to have to be uh, you know an influence that comes from outside. I'll be happy to work with someone on that. But uh, yeah, I think it'll. It'll take someone else to push that project forward. <laughs> um, we, we've mentioned a few of your colleagues. Um, I don't know if you ever worked with them directly, but a, a number of years ago, I, I got to speak with um, Rob Stewart uh, about about his work work mm. and his career. Did you ever get the the chance to to cross paths with him at all? I did. Yeah, yeah. Remarkable young man. You know, trying to do really great stuff to. Uh, protect our our ocean environment i mean he was a real real thought leader and 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 will continue you know to be in his in his memories uh for sure protecting sharks and bringing attention to to mass extinction on our planet um i've always been curious you you i think it was something called the uh spelunking conference or something where you where you talk but why is cave diving where did the term spelunking come from do you know is really more of what we would call a tourist that goes to experience a cave. Um, so cavers are, are explorers who explore dry parts of caves, and cave divers are ones right. that go underwater. Um, sump divers combine both caving and cave diving, but, but spelunking is really a term reserved for, for tourism. Um, out of Everything that, that you've have accomplished in your life with, with, with all the dives and where we are now with, with this um, 3D technology, what do you still want to uh, accomplish in your life? Where do you still want to go in, in terms of uh, exploration? Well, I mean, I have an endless list of places that I'd like to experience and stories I'd like to tell, but I think the most important thing that I'm, I'm doing in, in the, you know, for the rest of my life really is to, to reach the next generation. I, I spend a lot of time in schools um, talking to kids about exploration and discovery and how to, uh, how to engage themselves in, in good learning opportunities that uh, develop their potential for a very rapidly changing world. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a name of something you mentioned in the book. I think it's is it we are the we are water. We are water. Yep. We yeah. Are so water project. Yeah. Well, what can you tell us about that? How, how did that start? Well, my husband Robert and I sat down and really um, tried to you know gather focus for you know all of the different work that I do, and and we realized that that one of the most important things that I do and will continue to do is talk about what I um, term as water literacy. So helping people to understand where their water comes from, how they're connected to it, how they can protect it for future generations. And uh, we made a personal commitment to, well, we made a documentary. We toured it across Canada on, by bicycle. And uh, and I continue to talk about water literacy issues on a, you know, weekly if not daily basis with, with people in groups and, and online. 
You know, I learned a little bit about that stuff when I was in high school, like through geography class and, you know, aquifers mm -hmm. and, and, and all that. But what do you want the, the kids of today, um, you know, Gen Z, to, to, to take with them as, as they start their, the next chapter in their lives? Well, I really want them to understand that, that you know, we share the common resource of water on the planet. And, um, and if we don't protect it, both in its, you know, quantity and quality, um, then then we're going to be living in a world of conflict because because anyone would do anything in order to, you know, keep their, their children alive if they were dying of thirst. I mean, they would steal water or do whatever they had to do. And so we have to look at water as a global resource and a basic human right. And we've got to ensure clean drinking water resources for everyone, like indigenous, indigenous communities in Canada, citizens of Flint, Michigan, and then people on the other side of the planet as well. What do you think the future holds for cave diving and underwater exploration? Well, I, I think we're only just, you know, scratching the surface of underwater exploration. We have a long way to go, um, and uh, we need to better understand um, how water moves through the planet, and we better, need to better understand our oceans because they are essentially the lungs of our planet, creating more than half of the oxygen that we breathe every day. And uh, the more that we can explore, do science, and then communicate about these water resources, the better prepared humanity will be to, uh, to protect them. Well, uh, the book is Into the Planet, My Life as a Cave Diver. Um, the listeners can get it now, and it's had such great reviews from people as Clara Hughes and uh, Diana Nyad. Uh, Jill Heiner, th thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Oh, thanks. It's been great speaking with you. Alrighty, have a good day now. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with cave diver Jill Heiner. What does the show hold going forward? Well, I do have one other completed interview in the tank that I will be posting next week. And after that, I don't know. Um, I did reach out to my contacts today uh, to tell them that I'm still conducting phone interviews. I would like to support them. They support me. You know, it's a mutual give and take. But it is going to be a little more tricky um, with films being canceled, sports being canceled. It's going to be tricky to promote in the traditional way. So us artists are going to get creative. So my next guests next week will be the Vancouver performance art duo Lau. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you next time. Goodbye for now.
I just like to have a lot of sex. <laughs>